I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Julie Murphy is a librarian turned number one New York Times bestselling author of novels for all ages, including Dumplin', now a Netflix original film, Dear Sweet Pea, and If the Shoe Fits. Julie lives in North Texas with her spouse, who loves her, her dog, who adores her, and her cats, who tolerate her. Sierra Simone is a USA Today and Wall Street Journal best-selling former librarian. Her notable works include Priest, American Queen, and Misadventures of a Curvy Girl, and her books have been featured in Marie Claire, Cosmopolitan, Entertainment Weekly, and BuzzFeed. She lives with her spouse and family in Kansas City. Heads up, Julie and Sierra's book, A Merry Little Meet Cute, has a main character who's a very successful adult film star, so this episode may not be for the elementary set. But the book is fire emoji, eggplant emoji, peach emoji, fire emoji, if you know what I'm saying. Here's my conversation with Julie and Sierra. Thanks for being with me today, Julie and Sierra. Welcome to Ask a Librarian. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm even more excited to have you because you two are both former librarians, which I love hearing about. We are indeed. We are of the cloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both we both took the same vow of poverty <laughs> as young people. But we actually come from the same kind of library world, even inside of libraries. We are both public librarians at branches, which okay. is like... If anyone's ever worked at a branch, like you're not going to get the newest computers. You're not going to get the uh, best front lines. Yeah. Yeah. Really the front lines. That's the way to describe it. I did move over to academic at some point in time though, and worked at community college for a while. Okay. Now, did you enjoy that? I mean, compared to being in the world of public libraries, it felt very cush. I won't lie. (laughs) I bet you probably had a lot less action as it were. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Not as much, should we say, public action. There's a very specific flavor of patron you get sometimes. (laughs) I tell people all the time, because they'll say something about, oh, you're a librarian. And I'm like, yeah, but let's be clear. I'm an elementary librarian. I mean, they come for 45 minutes and then they go away. And I mean, so yes, I can relate to the, this feels cush. This is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that there was a point in time where it was like, is someone living in our bathrooms in our in our bathrooms at night? <laughs> Something's going on here. So it it was definitely a it was definitely a real adventure. Yeah, I can only imagine. Did you find the same for you, Sierra? Yes, I mean it was a big deal when my branch got waterproof patron chairs, which I think probably tells you all you need to know. 
it was a very exciting day for us for the janitorial staff. We were all pretty happy about that. Uh, oh my gosh. I don't think I've heard a better description of something. That really, in one sentence, you've summed up a really a large swath of your working experience. So well done. I know. Those are both very good. I do think that like, you know, sometimes being a librarian, there's a sort of like, oh, every day must be like that scene from Beauty and the Beast when Belle walks into Beast Library. Yes. And I want to be like, no, it's more like fighting with the same printer every day (laughs) and then helping someone use Microsoft Word who's never used a computer before. And then, you know, helping someone find a large print mystery. Like, you know, there's all sorts of things. Yeah, and then putting a slice of bologna out of a returned book. (laughs) We've all been there, right? (laughs) I think we can all relate to that. I think everyone can. So I gave a disclaimer when I read our intros that this won't be a friendly episode for my younger set, for my elementary people, for a variety of reasons. But I want to start with a very important question. Before we start talking about a merry little meet cute, I want to ask if you were an adult film star, what would your name be? Do you already have it picked out? Is this a question you've got before? Sierra, you want to go first? Yeah, I feel like I can kind of go first because I started out writing in a different genre. I actually started out writing young adult with Julie under a different name. And when I was trying to come up with a pen name, I wasn't really sure how to go about it. And I still sort of felt like, not that it was a joke, but I wasn't entirely taking this whole pen name thing seriously. I was like, this is just going to be something I do on the side that I'm not allotting a ton of bandwidth for while well, I kind of focus on my main career, which is young adult. And so I decided to use an old adult film formula or an exotic dancer name formula that I'd heard once, which was the street you grew up on and like your middle name. And so okay. I grew up on Sierra Circle and Simone was my middle name. And thus Sierra Simone was born. And indeed, I found out when I was trying to register my domain name that there is a performer out there named Sierra Simone as well. So (laughs) I would probably have to be like Sierra Simone version two, Sierra Simone, you know, 2.0 as a performer. But I think that's what I'd go with. Okay, Sierra Simone. I didn't realize that was a pen name. I'm learning things already. I'm, I have such questions about pen names. One of my early episodes was with someone that used one and it was like, I had been, my brain was fried. I didn't know what to call him the whole time. I mean, I made it like a, such a weird deal. So I'll try and do better today. Good thing you didn't I tell me ahead of time. Think of it just like Batman, you know, like <laughs> this is my Batman yes. name. <laughs> okay, perfect. Julie, what about you? Well, do you use the same formula? Well, yes, I would okay. use the same formula, but I also have to say I constantly call Sierra by her by her birth name, by her God-given name. (laughs) So if I ever do that, I apologize in advance (laughs) because many readers have left our events incredibly confused about this third mystery party that I mentioned sometimes. Okay, so according to that formula, my name would be... Okay, wait, you said you go by your address or your street address and... Middle name. Middle My street name. name and your middle name, but you could also do pet name. I've heard pet I name. Heard, okay. I've heard pet name and your street address. And so in that case, my name would be Timothy Cornhill. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. an excellent one. Yeah, it's it's really classy. Yes. But if I yeah. went by middle name, it would be Ann Cornhill. So Ann Cornhill. Gosh. Yeah. I think either of those are good. Timothy and Ann Cornhill is Timothy. what we should really go with. 
I think there's, I think you've got something there. Some real potential. (laughs) I do feel like Anne Cornhill is a hundred percent like a 1980s romance novelist name. Like I can see the Anne Cornhill mass market paperbacks, like with the clinch covers in my mind already. Right next to Daniel Steele. Yeah. 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 Totally. That or like a slasher queen. (laughs) Oh yes. (laughs) It's good to have both options. I think those dovetail very nicely. That's perfect. Now, I feel compelled to share mine by the formula. I was using an old, a former pet's name. It would be Brandy Greenwood. Ooh. Which I feel like could work pretty well. Yeah, I really yeah. do. I really Can I just say that these adult film last names you guys have are very close to like hobbit names, like Cornhill, Greenwood, oh, yes. like they're almost hobbity, but then they're, they're also a little hobbit bit dirty. Names. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like it. Okay. <laughs> Dirty hobbits. Okay. We are on. I love it. That okay, is so- truly the Sierra Simone brand, by the way. Dirty <laughs> hobbits. <laughs> you know, I'm here for it. I like it. We were watching Rings of Power just last night. So, oh my gosh, there's so many pretty people in that show. There mm-hmm. really are. I, yeah, we can, let's loop back around to that because some of them, <laughs> yeah, I just stare at them. I'm like, how do you look like this? It's amazing. Okay, so I want to start with how you two met, because I know you wrote on your website, which is great, juliansierra.com, which is perfect, and I loved looking through that and reading a little bit about both of you, but you met, and it was best friendship at first sight, you said. It was. So we met in, what, 2014, I think, and one of our dear friends, Natalie C. Parker, was putting on a little DIY book tour, because we were all debut authors, there wasn't a lot of you know, marketing dollars behind us. And so we had a little bit of an uphill battle with our first books and we decided, well, really Natalie, who is the decider in our friend group. Of course. Everyone needs one. Everyone needs one. Mm -hmm. She decided that we were all going to load up in a van and just drive across the Midwest to as many bookstores as would have us. And I I, I did not know Sierra at the time. And I... uh, it's not that I'm not a people person, but it's not that I am a people person. And I'm very wary of having to spend extended amounts of time with strangers. Yes. Who is not, right? Correct. But no, I can relate. I have a lot of follow-up questions when that sort of stuff is posed, right? Like, will we be sharing rooms? How long will I have to talk to this person? If I put on headphones, will they understand that I don't want to be talked to? Continue. Okay. Exactly. I'm with you. No, that's the exact situation. So there's four (laughs) of us in a van and one of them is like Natalie and her spouse, her wife are in the van. Okay. And then there is Sierra and I. And so we're doing this on the cheap. And the proposal is that, you know, Natalie and her wife will share a bed and then Sierra and I will share a bed. Of course. And I was not about this arrangement. I was not into it. But I didn't want to say no to Natalie because she's just a hard person to say no to. God, and hate those people. <laughs> so the very first time I met Sierra, we were we had pulled up in front of her house, and I turned to her and introduced myself. And out of spite, I said, "Hi, my name is Julie Murphy, and sometimes I snore." <laughs> and I said, "That's okay because I have narcolepsy and I can sleep through anything." <laughs> and then. It was just like a uh, best friendship was born from that yeah. very moment. Yeah. That is meant a to heart- be faded. That's mate. a heartwarming story right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we always say it starts with like the best of tropes. 
one bed, faded mates, you know? Yeah. It really Forced proximity. Forced proximity. <laughs> Forced proximity. It's so true. Lots of time in a car together. Hello. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what bonds people better than that, right? Right. You're like, I've been in here so long, I'm going to lose yeah. my mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you meet, it's, it's best friendship at first sight. And then you're like, you know what? We want to write an exceedingly dirty, really wonderful book. So how do we get from point A to point B? Well, we, so Natalie not just organizes, you know, road trips and kind of bookstore tours and stuff. She also organizes these really wonderful writing retreats. And so we started going on these writing retreats with her, which are so awesome and restorative. But one of the things that we learned about a lot of writers is that they are very, well, let's see, their circadian rhythms are very healthy. And they're the kind (laughs) of people who wake up at like six and then they, you know, drink like a green smoothie Mm. and then they go on a walk and meditate and then they write a zillion words. And so by the time Julie and I would get up, we would crawl out of our room at like 11 a.m. like teenage boys looking for pop tarts (laughs) and everyone else was like done for the day. Like they lived an entire lifetime, you know, while we were asleep. But for us, like we really like get going kind of in the afternoon and the evening and, you know, wrap up around midnight or one. And so we realized like, oh, we're kind of like vampires and we're around all these mortals and it's great, but it's also a little bit discouraging because it does kind of make you feel like a teenage boy when you're like, you know, scrounging for pop tarts in the morning while everyone's being productive. So we decided that we were going to do kind of just a retreat, just the two of us, just like a little vampire retreat. And because of scheduling reasons, this normally happened around Christmas time. And so like just for our schedules and then we would find these cabins that were really plentiful in Oklahoma of all places that were all decked out for Christmas. And so we'd go and we'd live our best vampire lives. And it turns out this is actually good advice, I think, for everyone, not just writers. But when you lean in to what works naturally for you, you end up getting a lot more done than when you're trying to kind of force yourself into a box you don't belong in. So we went on these vampire retreats. We ended up getting tons of work done. And then at the end of the day, if we'd kind of gotten all the words we wanted to write done, we would reward ourselves with pie and cheesy Christmas movies. And this Uh, went on for like years, years and years until one year. Yeah, we were going to take it from here. I will gladly take it from here. So one year we were sitting in bed with, and that's the thing is like, we are always sitting in bed at the end of the night, like cuddled up in one bed with pie sort of like balanced on our chest. Of course. Like just scooping it. Yeah. So it's right there. Yeah. You just, you just want the, like the direct path into your mouth (laughs) with pie. (laughs) So we were just sitting there one day watching one of these Christmas movies. And this one was like, a little rough around the edges. It was definitely mm. like a rush production. Okay. And I mean, they all are, but this one was definitely like, we have a free time slot and you have three days to film a Christmas movie or like just something ridiculous. <laughs> Got it. Yes. And also we were starting to notice like, didn't they just use that same winter jacket in the other movie that we yes. just saw? Or like we started seeing the same care, like actors popping up, the same costumes. And it's hard to say which one of us said it first, but the other one, one of us turned to the other and said, you know, these 
Hallmark Christmas movies that we're like just binging are a lot like other movies that you might watch alone by yourself at night. (laughs) (laughs) The quality is not so different. (laughs) I feel like we have dovetailing situations here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I mean, I had, I come from like a long YA career, like the last 10 years has been all YA and middle grade for me, but because Sierra is one of my best friends, she has definitely overexposed me to a lot of smut, a lot of romance, and I have, I had truly fallen in love with it. And so the thought had been on my mind for a long time to write a romance novel like this, but it was definitely very intimidating going from like, I'm a teenager going to prom for the first time to an adult (laughs) film star who has like a suitcase full of uh, toys. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. who better to usher me through that experience than my best friend, Sierra Simone. Oh, I love it. That is a really great origin story. The pie, the movies. And I can, I completely relate well with a couple of things. Number one, Sierra, what you said about leaning into what works for you is such a good tip for everyone. Cause I think there is, we all want a formula, right. For how we do things, but you have to pay attention to what works for you because otherwise it's never going to move you forward. So that is such a good point. So I loved the idea that Christmas Notch is a town that exists solely as a set. That isn't real, is it? Is that a real thing? (laughs) No, unfortunately, (laughs) not entirely. But what we did find when we were getting into researching this, and by the way, I have to shout out our friend Nisha Sharma, who is also a fellow YA and romance author. She wrote the fantabulous Dating Dr. Dill, which came out this year. If anyone misses the movie, the Heath Ledger movie, 10 Things I Hate About You. This is like the rom-com book version of 10 Things I Hate About You. It's amazing. Anyway, in addition to her many talents, Nisha is somewhat of a librarian of Christmas movies, shall we say. She has this epic spreadsheet where she keeps track of all the movies she's watched, what actors are in them, what series they're part of, you know, what channel they're on, because she has an expansive... She does the Hallmark. She does the Lifetime. She does the Netflix. You know, I think Great American Country is getting into the Christmas movie game now. So she does those. So she's got a whole a whole thing going. And so when she found out we were writing this book, she lent us so much of her expertise. And one of the things that was really kind of led us down a research rabbit hole was, you know, where do these channels go to produce these movies? Right. And there are kind of a, there's kind of a buffet of options, but not as big of a buffet as you might think where, you know, there's some sound stages in Georgia because Georgia is like really a production friendly state. There's some places in New England and then Canada is like, they really love Toronto and Vancouver. You can find lots of snow up there. I, I presume that's the main appeal. And so kind of researching that, oh, like a lot of these movies are centralized around these 10 or 15 locations. And these locations have really made it a big business, you know, to host these films, to make themselves as frictionless for these productions to come in. And a lot of these movies are shot in two to three weeks. And so they have a really tight turnaround. And so we kind of started falling in love with hybridizing that idea with a small town, because who doesn't love a small town romance? And Julie, you might want to talk a little bit about this, but small towns are really like your that's like your sandbox. Yeah, I truly do love a good small town. I love all the different like 
things that you can collect and create along the way and all the sort of like quirks of a small town. Yes. I think a really good comp for all our specific town would be Schitt's Creek for sure. Yes. We wanted we wanted to create a place where like that was very accepting and open, but also still had like all the, the <laughs> funny little moments you might find in a small town. And then we also wanted to combine this idea of like a forever Christmas town because we, I mean, Sierra lives in Kansas. I live in Texas driving to each other through Oklahoma or Arkansas sometimes. Yeah. We see so many of like these little niche, like antique-ish kind of towns that have like, you know, a very specific spin to them. And yes. so just, we always wanted to go to Vermont. But I think the biggest embarrassment of our career thus far is that we have not been to Vermont and we set a book in Vermont because <laughs> <laughs> we're all about those tax deductions to go on trips that we want to go of on, right? Yeah. So the goal is to go to Vermont, but the idea of like this forever Christmas town and like it being like the host for these movies, it was just too fun for us not to write. It's so fun. And I love that Christmas Notch is that town, but yet it still has a strip club. Yeah. yeah. Like that was I just mean, such what a What town detail. doesn't, right? Well, it's true. I just... And why wouldn't you call it the North Pole? <laughs> as soon as I read that, I was like, this just, I mean, that wrote itself. It's amazing. <laughs> I really, but so much of this book is like that. So I see it's so clever. And let me just say also, I loved it. This is the dirtiest book I've read. It might be ever. I was, I mean, I was reading it and I thought, okay, uh, I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> one of my sons came in and interrupted me with a question. I'm like, I'm, bu- I'm yeah. busy. Get out of here. I'm in the throes of this moment. (laughs) I can't be bothered with whatever you need right now because I'm reading this. Yeah. So, but I really, I loved it. It's so clever and it's at parts tender and it's just a really fun read. You guys paced it really well. I just, it was a delight. I really, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the other pieces because obviously Christmas Notch was a highlight for me because I could totally picture it. There's a town in Washington called Leavenworth that has, you know, some year round Christmas stuff and that sort of German look to it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm all about it, but I think I really liked, well, first of all, at the beginning, the way that you marry the, the crew from the porn industry and the crew from the hope flicks and just the fact that they're they're saying things to each other that don't make sense, but nobody's really tracking why. I mean, just some of those scenes, like the costume scene where he's pulling out, you know, like a magenta shirt and Nolan's like, no, this doesn't make sense. I mean, it just, it was so funny. You did a great job with that. Was that just, now, how did you guys do that in the writing? Did each of you write a portion or did you pass it back and forth? How did those things come about? Well, I think we decided pretty early on that the most natural, like high level split would be for us to each take a point of view. Okay. So Julie took B, I took Nolan. And in general, we would sort of, you know, we would be the main voice of those chapters. Okay. But one thing that we have learned over like, you know, eight years of being best friends is each other's strengths and and foibles sometimes. And so we were able to like tap in when we needed it. So Julie is amazing at dialogue and banter at pacing. Julie has a background in theater. She's done screenwriting. And so when it comes to things like moving a scene along in the best paced way, or just having really, really punchy dialogue, like Julie is the queen. And so there would be plenty of times that I'd be like, Julie, like, 
punch this up for me or even just like make this make this joke for me actually I just wrote a chapter last night where I was like insert joke here and then I just tagged Julie I gave you two very good options just so you know this morning I can't wait to see I can't wait to see I mean you didn't really need my help Julie but one thing that I did I I truly did for was some of the the spicier moments. The naughty bits. We put on my stethoscope and then Dr. Spice came in and (laughs) yeah. Dr. Spice MD. We call it a spicy 911 when uh (laughs) when I need Sierra's help. (laughs) So we're uh I, I think it's actually like I don't know it's it's I think it's the most fun either of us have ever had in our writing career because it's just like getting to make inside jokes all day with your best friend and just trying to like out funny the other person. Yes. So I don't know. I, I like, even now we're like under the gun for book two. Like when I say under the gun, I mean, like we're getting off this call and we're going to (laughs) go like write a chapter right now, but like, we're just still having so much fun. It's just so much fun for each of us to lean into the things that we feel most comfortable with and like really confident in and getting yes. to rely on the other person without feeling any like shame or regret about it. It's just, it's too much fun. It's like, we shouldn't get paid to have this much fun. Well, I would, I would argue that you absolutely should. We should all get paid to have this much fun, but my cats would agree. So <laughs> they, they like being fed. <laughs> I was just going to say, do they have fancy food tastes? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. 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 I feel like cats know what's up. They're like, no, don't give me that dry crap. You go, so true. you run yourself to the store. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Okay. Well, it comes through totally. Like you guys have really, I think you both support each other so well and the way you're expressing it, it makes total sense because it's very seamless, but it's strong in so many more areas, honestly, than one might expect it to be only because there is sort of a, I think romance gets a bad rap. And so, you know, sometimes, and I'm sure there's some really terrible romance out there, but this is not one of them. It is fantastic. I can't wait to read the second one. Now, when is that going to come out? I mean, when you get it done. Well, when I get it done. Yeah. Yes. But I think that the plan is for it to come out probably sometime September, October of 2023. Okay. So in the book, Nolan is a member of a three-part boy band or a former member of a three-part boy band. Yes. And so the goal is that every boy will get his own book. So next up we have Callum who... Love it. He's, you know, he's just Callum. He's, there's like, there's the heartthrob, there's the bad boy, and then there's just Callum. Yeah. He's sort of like the Joey Fatone, you know? (laughs) Which, who doesn't love a Joey Fatone? We all need him in there, right? Yeah. And Callum had his moment in this book with his... Oh, yeah dad bod and it sounds like there was so oh. I don't want to give anything away but yeah. I mean it I was like hey good for you man yeah he's Congrats. Uh, he's a real hunk you know he's <laughs> he's got away with with the ladies it's gonna it's gonna be a fun one I'm excited and by the way I was reading through and I was ink and then I went through and I was looking and you mentioned that you know it was INK and I had this moment of like oh my gosh that's so genius <laughs> I feel like there were so many tiny things I was like they really did a good job with that way to go on the band name I mean, I really feel like we have to credit, you know, in sync for that idea. <laughs> yeah. But one yeah. one thing that has not made it into the books yet is that poor Callum actually was Callum with a C and then changed his name to make the boy band work. Oh my uh, god. Like the name Ink works. Yes. So now he's Callum with a K. 
Yeah, we, it's it's not canon or anything like that, but we're pretty sure his mom probably smacked him with a shoe when he did <laughs> right. that. Yeah, that that feels about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little chancleta kind of moment. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. (laughs) Well, I really like all, like we're talking about, all the lighthearted parts and all the funny parts and obviously the naughty bits. Excellent chef's kiss. Good job. But I also really liked that this book had some some deeper themes that came through and they weren't too heavy handed. But Nolan's mom, I really liked the way that you guys talked about her mental health issues that she had bipolar disorder. And I think there were a couple of lines that really stood out to me when there was a whole passage about the cruelest thing about bipolar disorder. There was never one thing that worked forever. And that was such a true, true statement to me. And I, my memoir is coming out next year about my recovery from depression and anxiety. So a lot of things just whenever we're talking about treatments and how we go about getting better and staying well, it's, it's just important. And I really loved it. And I also liked talking about the neighbor, Barb, who kept thinking that the cure for depression was keeping busy and they had to tell her it didn't work like that. And I just really thought you did a good job with treating that. Was that something you wanted to include that you knew or did that come up as you were writing? How did that work? I think it was, it was pretty early on. So my mother had bipolar disorder and so like sort of the position that Maddie, Nolan's younger sister, she's 17 And when Nolan has to leave to go film the movie, he's really kind of leaving his mom. Like he lives with his mom and his sister. And so he's kind of leaving Maddie in charge a little bit. So there's Barb, the neighbor, who's very well-meaning. Of course. But we probably all know that kind of well-meaning person that's like, well, if you just got up and exercised, you would feel better, you know, like that kind of person. And then Callum actually is back in Kansas city and he's dropping in and bringing everyone pizza. Uh, cause you know, that's Callum's love language. And so, but Nolan has to leave. And I recognized a lot of myself in Maddie, the younger sister, who's, you know, kind of having to shoulder a lot of responsibility in situations that even adults struggle with, which is like battling with health insurance, trying to figure out things with pharmacies, you know, trying to figure out where Medicaid intersects with, you know, all of that doctor's bills. And so it was something that I really kind of wanted to show that it's never mental health is not the problem. It's, the environment that people with things like depression or bipolar disorder have to exist inside of. And so 
Nolan's mom is like, she's, she's not Nolan's wound, you know, to use sort of story language. Yes. It's making sure that she has the space to be safe and happy. That's the wound. Like he is, his job is sort of to make sure that she's got the capaciousness, the time, the bandwidth and the resources she needs to live her best life. And that's where his struggle comes in because he's trying to kind of create that world for her. And so I kind of wanted to make that distinction, I guess, when Mm -hmm. you have a loved one in your life or, you know, if it's yourself, that it's not the depression, right, that you're sort of battling. It's the, the making space around it, making space for yourself and creating less friction in the world for yourself. That's the, that's the battle, right? So Mm. I probably shouldn't even use language like battle, but you know, just as a shorthand. Yeah. I love the way you characterize that. That is a perfect description and making space around you for it. I, that is really beautiful and so correct. So, and such an honoring of what it is to be a person who's in a dark place for whatever reason, for whatever amount of time where it really is just needing that. And the things that we sort of ask of people who don't have enough space, right? So they're already diminished or depleted. And then it's, oh, you need to make this phone call that's going to take an hour and pretty much suck up all your energy for the day. Right. Right. Yeah. I heard once, I don't, no one fact check me on this. I don't know that it's actually true, but I had heard. We don't once, do that at Ask a Librarian. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Say whatever. <laughs> but I had heard once that, you know, there were certain kinds of neurodivergence or things that don't pop up in the literature mm-hmm. until middle-class capitalism really be, like starts gaining steam in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And sort of the implication being that it wasn't until people were sort of asked to be eight to five, you know, five or six day a week workers that brain chemistry and neurodivergence started clashing with like external environments. That when we didn't have sort of a capitalist paradigm to exist in, those things were maybe given more room or seasonality or rhythm to kind of exist as they were. And I don't, I definitely don't want to make it sound like the middle ages were some sort of like, you know, Arcadia for mental health. I'm sure that they (laughs) weren't. I'm sure, you know, the Catholic church got involved a lot with mental health, but I think that there is something interesting about that, that it's so much of our environment about what we consider productivity, what we consider contributing things like health insurance and benefits. And those are the kinds of things that cause so much friction for people with different brain chemistry or neurodivergence. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a lot to pack into a smutty Christmas novel, but I, it was something I was interested in as I was writing. I was just so dang smart. Like I just, I just want to eat her brain sometimes. I know you went into 1700s and I was like, oh my gosh, what? (laughs) Tell me more. Nothing. (laughs) I, I'm here for it. That was, you should throw a little bit of scotch in her and see what happens. It was like at our last (laughs) retreat, Julie said, said something like barbarian wrote, I spent at barbarians. And then I turned to her and I was like, do you know where the ancient Greek word for barbarian comes from? And then Julie was, she made that exact same face where she was like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I just opened Pandora's box. We're going to be here a minute, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be here a minute is the story of Sierra Simone. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm going to break this down for you. I appreciate that, though. Moving through the world without friction. And that's such a good point. And it totally relates to what you said earlier about your vampire retreat, right? Where it's you lean into that. And that, to some people, doesn't seem, quote, productive or whatever it is. But this idea that that's what your body and your chemistry needs. So, yeah, rhythm is so, so key. And I love how we have ability to just deny ourselves that until we all crash. It's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a neat thing. That's a Hallmark movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling someone the other day, there's a, oh, I finally remembered. It was the Bernstein Bears and Too Much Pressure. Have you ever read that one? No. no. Amazing. But I do remember the Bernstein Bears. Well, yeah, the Bernstein Bears love. But there's one called Too Much Pressure where mama basically has a meltdown because they've got too much stuff on the calendar. And I was like... I love this book. I'm gonna find I'm I'm gonna find you a copy. And now I have a now I have an approach. This is gonna be exciting. I loved, I just really appreciated the parts about mental health. Also, I wanted to talk a little bit just about some of the other things you addressed around sex work and also fat phobia. Is that I mean, we're again, I know Sierra, you were saying you kind of had this idea around what you wanted to add. Was that also something that you guys had set out in the beginning, or did you know how did that? sort of come about. I'm not asking yeah. the question well, but no, we totally get it. Yeah. I mean, so sex work is something that Sierra has written about before. Okay. And it's actually something that we've talked a lot about together, just as friends in terms of like fatness and like women of size choosing to like enter the world of adult content and yes. what that means and like what kind of agency that allows for them to have. And that was really fascinating to us, especially because I feel like I've I've been writing about fat characters for almost my whole career now. Okay. And so starting with like, you know, with Dumplin' and coming out and like, oh gosh, I think it was like 2015 or something like that. It feels like a sort of like 101 level study for me of like my own feelings about fatness and and getting to watch that evolve throughout the course of my career. And now landing on this where I get to write a fat sex worker who has a very clear understanding of how she wants her body to be represented to the world and like the, the, you know, what it means to, for people to fetishize you and how to still like have human connections through someone's true appreciation of your body. Mm-hmm. It was really exciting. And Sierra Simone is our like smart talking head CNN person. So I'm <laughs> sure she has something even better to add to this conversation. <laughs> I think you really said it best, which was that right now in the world of sex work, there are a lot of exciting opportunities for all content creators to take more control and agency of the kind of work they put out, you know, on their own terms, how, what lens it's filmed with, you know, in the sense of, I think traditionally a lot of adult content has been a very male gaze. I don't think that's like surprising mm-hmm. to anyone. <laughs> and so even quote unquote queer adult content would usually be typically filmed for a male gaze, whether that's gay male adult content or lesbian adult film content. And so There have been underground adult content movements for years, you know, starting in the 80s and 90s and really flowering in the 2000s. But now, like, you don't have to get a distributor. You don't have to figure out how to print DVDs. You don't have to have stores figure out how to carry your DVDs. You know, anyone 
any content creator can put themselves up, you know, and with a site like the one that we've created for a Merry Little Meet Cute Closed Doors, which mm-hmm. is for legal reasons, not OnlyFans, but very OnlyFans-esque, <laughs> a platform like that allows you even greater control because it does allow you for sort of layers of how much you want to put out there. And so it intersected really well, I think, with a character who already knew how she wanted her body to be and interpreted and what she was comfortable doing and maybe what she wasn't going to be comfortable doing. Like she Mm -hmm. had full agency over that. And one of the things that I think we really wanted to sort of dive into was desire and how, like, what, like, what is sort of the nuance of desire when it comes to bodies, you know? And so where is the line between a fetishization in a bad way and then like a good, maybe a good fetish we could say, And for us, that line is dignity. So like a good kind of desire, a good kind of fetish, so to speak, and that you are really into what you're looking at adds dignity to the situation. It adds dignity to the other person in the dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so both people come out of the situation more fully human than they were before. Mm -hmm. A bad fetish, you know, dehumanizes, right? It strips dignity away from a situation. And I think We've probably all encountered adult film content that definitely is dehumanizing or stripping dignity. And so what we love about romance novels and, you know, spicy romance novels is that we have words. And so we can add all of this social and emotional and intellectual context to desire to make sure that both characters come out more fully human, more fully incarnated as people than they were before. And that's great because you get to do that with like kissing and lube and like, you know... How often do you get to be like, I'm adding dignity to the world with lube. (laughs) (laughs) With sugar cookie scented. Yeah, exactly. flavored, I should say. Pardon me. (laughs) The gingerbread lotion too. I swear I could smell gingerbread when I was reading those seeds. I was like, well, I'm going to think of that. We've done our job. Yes, yes. It will be with me for years to come. I'm very excited. (laughs) You know, I love, yeah, man, Julie, you weren't kidding. Just talking head. Like I, this is, I I could listen to you all day. Serious, like my brain. When people ask me an important question, like I know what I should say, yes. but it's like like the the road between my mind and my mouth is just static, and then whatever comes out of her mouth is always like the final draft. I'm like, that's great, that's so smart. I cosign. Yes, <laughs> I approve this message. Yeah, I'm yeah. Julie, and I approve this message by Sierra. I love it. Takes it takes me a very long time to say it, though. That's the trade off. Is sometimes things just need to be short and sweet, but I take like. <laughs> two hours to write a single email. So sometimes Julie's like, let me take this email because I know it'll take you all day. Yeah, that's true. I am. We, we do have like, like I said, we have our different strengths and like behind the scenes, like I am the person who interfaces with emails and, and conflicts and things like that, because it will just eat up her entire day to have to think of like, how do I write this sort of tough email? You know, those scenes in the West Wing where they would like walk and talk and like people would hand them things and then they'd be signing things as they walk. That's like how Julie operates all of her entire life. Okay. (laughs) She's she's a Sorkin-esque, like walker talker, get things done fast, fast, fast. Okay. And where are you just sitting in a corner somewhere? Yeah. Like like, I I think I'm a lot like a medieval anchoress, you know, in my little like cell that's bricked up around a church and people come and bring me food and then I'll slowly. There's always a quest though. Like there's always a quest to get to Sierra. So you're going to have to answer a riddle. You're going to have to battle a dragon. (laughs) 
wait 21 days while your email language is in my inbox. Yeah, yeah. Prove your worth. Exactly. Prove your metal. Okay, so Julie, you are the get it done girl of this relationship. I, yeah, I feel like after a year of solidly working together, I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's the love language of friendships though, right? Where you just have this like, hey, let me save you from yourself because yeah. I know what's going to happen. We both know what's going to happen here. So let's just yeah. cut yeah, it off at the true. pass. I live in fear though of our editor and our like publishing team thinking that like, I'm just like the dominant one in our, and I am the dominant one in our relationship. <laughs> let's not lie. But me just like constantly like talking over her and she never speaks for herself. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. If she were speaking for herself, we'd be here in six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not like a misery situation. I'm not like, you know, chained to a bed somewhere. I'm just very slow at my finger words. Well, these are the things you got to know what you're good at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think there are so many valuable themes in the book and you really treated B's work with such a dignity really is the word for it where, you know, I was reading about it and I'm not a huge consumer of adult films. So there's a lot I don't know. I really did learn a lot reading this too. I was like, oh, that's OnlyFans. Because I kind of connected like, I see. So it was, but I really liked the way she thought through what felt good to her, what felt not good. And even when you talked about the different comments that she got, the levels of comments, and you kind of broke them down, like there were these, there were these, and then there were these. And that felt, you know, it's so true. I mean, I can't think of anyone else that would need better boundaries or better, you know, previously established decisions about what they would and wouldn't allow. So, yeah, I think that we both, I mean, we've never created our own adult content for (laughs) internet consumption. Understood. But I do think that being authors and kind of being at people's disposal has has let us at least step into B's shoes for a moment to really think about what that might take. That's such a good point because there is an access and especially for women authors, I think, right. Where it's, there's a, an expectation that you are going to be available and, you know, forward facing and all these things. And that's just a a sliver. It feels like of then what more visible people experience in Hollywood. Yeah. And this is not to say that like we appreciate every interaction we have with readers and fans. Oh, of course. But I can definitely tell you that like our male counterparts are not getting the emails that are asking like, can you please walk me through step by step? How do you get published? Like yes. questions like that, where it's definitely like, you know, quote unquote, like the work of a woman kind of emails. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. I haven't emailed that to Stephen King recently. Yeah. 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 See? See yeah. Stephen? Yeah. You were dealing with Steven? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) See what's happening over here? (laughs) So on that note, do you have a question for me? Well, I think we were kind of wondering what is the most bizarre thing that you've had one of your little patrons ask you to help them find? Or maybe like most specific thing. Yeah, I think what shocks me, well, just last week, one of the kindergartners asked me if I live in the library, which was the first time any one of them has asked me that. Yeah. (laughs) So do you live in the library? I said, no, I have a house. And she said, where? Like, that was just... I don't see it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Psycho. (laughs) Get out, Mrs. Chavez. But uh, I get, you know what shocks me all the time is how many kids ask for horror 
or scary books. Like even second and third graders, some of the younger ones, they really want in on that. So it's mostly that stuff. And then I'm getting a lot more, do you have any, you know, Pokemon? They want more anime, things like that. And Mm -hmm. I was just researching the other day, like it's hard to find those for their set because a lot of them are so sexualized. So yeah, yeah, it's not, there haven't been too many bizarre things, but it's mostly just, I want a, a scary book. We had one called Spooky Hospitals that was terrifying. And that one I couldn't keep in. They yeah. kept like, hey, my friend got this. I want it this week. It was amazing. And it was super creepy. I mean, and there was also one about voodoo that I was like, um, I don't know that your parents are going to want you to take this home. So it's do a little different. Have, do libraries still carry the, um, what is that book? Like Alan something. I don't know. It's called Scary Stories or something like that. Scary and Stories this, to Tell in the Dark? Yeah. And the awful illustrations that are so creepy. I just got rid of ours recently because I couldn't anymore. It was... I remember reading those and being terrified. I know. Yes. Those are, that's like an old, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. And there are like three volumes of them. We still have Wait Till Helen Comes, which did you oh, read that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. So that's but you, uh, Mary Downing Hahn. Mary that, Downing Hahn. Well yeah. done. Way to, way to library pull. Good job. And uh, <laughs> Goosebumps. And so, yeah, I try yeah. to, I try to put them down the middle of the lane, but some of them are like, this is garbage. It's yeah. basically like if somebody said, I want romance and I handed them, you know, something really too vanilla. And they're like, no, I want a merry little meat cute. And now yeah. I have a book to give them to satisfy, yeah, to quench. Well, Ladies, I have to tell you, this has been super fun. Thank you for the time. Thank you for just the thought and care you put into this book. It oh, really shows. You. It really thank does. You. It's we a wanted to write. We wanted to write something that captured the feeling of sitting oh. in bed with your best friend eating pie. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. that's all we wanted. <laughs> you nailed it. And I think for all of us that watch Hallmark Christmas movies or Christmas movies from any channel, as we've discussed, I think will really enjoy it. So okay. I'm excited for everybody to pick it up and it'll be on all the uh, good gift lists for people oh, that need yeah. just a little wonderful, dirty, you know, well-written smut. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of our favorite booksellers at Love Sweets Arrow in Chicago described it as two horny dummies just trying to navigate Christmas time. And I feel like <laughs> that energy in your life, then this is the one for you. Exactly. It. I think we had a, we had a librarian friend from Mississippi say wholesomely filthy. So if you're yeah. looking for oh. something that's wholesomely filthy, <laughs> wholesomely filthy, I love both of those characterizations, horny dummies, just trying to navigate Christmas time. That feels like it could really apply to parenting too. I'm not going to lie. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, amen. Cause there are times where I'm like, did, are we someone's parents? Because I don't feel like this is a good idea. Every day, every day. <laughs> well, thank you both for the time and for being with me today. And I wish you all the luck with the book. And hopefully you can come back when the second one comes out. Yeah. I love that. All right. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.